0: Anthony Santander has proven to be a vital piece of the Orioles lineup, but now they've got Heston Kerstad in the bigs, too, and he can do a lot of those things as well. So the question is, is there space for both of these guys on the 2024 Orioles? We'll talk about that and more with Nick Stevens coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast.
1: You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast.
0: Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Wednesday, November 29th, 2023. And welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we'll be reviewing the seasons of Anthony Santander and Heston Kerstad, talking about what they brought to the O's and what they could bring to the Orioles if both of them are back with the team in 2024. And we're going to do it with Nick Stevens of the On The Verge podcast. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 just if your team wins. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to get started today. And we bring in Nick Stevens here. He is one of the three co-hosts of the On The Verge podcast, covering all things Orioles minor leagues and major leagues as well. He has been on this podcast multiple times before. And Nick, welcome back to the show.
1: Thanks for having me on. Always. You make so much time for us on our show. So always willing to hop on uh, whenever you want to
0: talk Orioles. Yeah, it's a, it's a good relationship we got between the, the two shows. And 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 I've said this before, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts. It is hard for me. I don't know how you feel about this. It's hard for me to listen to a lot of other Orioles podcasts because I don't want to just be regurgitating the same talking points that I'm hearing from others. Yeah. Your guys is the one that I listen to. And that's not a shot at anyone else's Orioles podcast. It's just that you guys know the minor leagues, know the system better than I do. And so it's more of an addition to my show than anything else. And a lot of times it's tough. Like there are other good shows out there. It's just like, I know they're going to be talking about the same thing as me because this is the big story um, in Oriole land right now.
1: Yeah, that's that's why we found the niche. Uh We found that little space there in the Orioles market because you're right. There are a lot of great Orioles podcasts. There's a lot of great Orioles content, uh, which is a good thing, but... Yeah, it's we started this orioles minor league podcast uh right before the pandemic hit as well like february 2020 so like great timing for an, a minor league podcast but uh yeah we, we transition a little bit to the major league side of things now that more of these guys are graduating and the orioles are, are good again but yeah there's there's always going to be minor leaguers and hopefully always plenty more good minor leaguers that come up through the system
0: yeah we'll talk about a guy who uh right now i think is a consensus. I'd say top three prospect in the Orioles system. Maybe at worst top five in a couple of minutes here. But I want to start with a guy who is established as an Oriole. And my hope is that that is for more than just one more season. But we will see. That is Anthony Santander, who the big news surrounding him right now is he is a free agent after 2024. Let the trade talks commence. But before we get to that, Nick, when you look back on Santander's 2023 season hitting in the middle of this Orioles order, What do you think the one thing will be that you remember from this campaign?
1: Just honestly, I first go back to like the World Baseball Classic, like the the majestic home runs, the high energy celebrations, just like real authentic, pure baseball. And it's the whole entire World Baseball Classic. Uh, Go off on a tangent on that one. But I remember watching those games and thinking, like, is Anthony Santander fully arrived now? He's coming off his first full healthy season back in twenty twenty two. Had, what, 33 home runs. We saw the walks go up, strikeouts go down. And I'm wondering, like, can he do that again in 2023? And then when I'm watching him in the WBC, it was hard for me not to get excited and thinking, like, is he going to take another step forward in 2023 and be this truly elite piece in this Orioles offense? And like, not that there's a big gap between, like, who Santander was in 2022 and where he could go, but still, like, round out his game more and take it up to another level. And, you know, it was slow going there for like the first what month or so out of the gates. When you look back at this season and maybe the WBC and the timing of that has some impact. I, I don't know, but regardless, you look back at this season and you see the 70 extra base hits. He hit the ball harder than I think ever before, even just by a little bit, but still, and he was really someone who flourished with runners on base. You put the high OBP guys and Adley and Gunner in front of him and you look at his splits with runners on versus runners off base and they're just astronomical difference there. And, the biggest thing for me was 153 games. Again, only Adley had more games, which is shocking in its own right. The catcher playing more games than you, but still, it's. I, until knowing that I was going to come on and talk about Santander and looking back at some of his numbers, it's like 2017 was when he joined this organization as a Rule 5 draft pick. It's really hard to believe. It's, it's been a long time, but, you know, just one of those guys who seemed to never stay healthy. And now he's two straight years of really healthy baseball. And, He was, he, I think, developed into that elite piece in in the middle of this Orioles lineup. It was a big reason why they won 101 games this year.
0: Yeah, you look back at the 2017 Orioles, and I'm sure someone will yell at me in the comments if this is wrong, but it's just Santander and Hayes, right, that are are still here, I believe, from guys who played on that team. And they both had very small cups of coffee on that team for different reasons. But that was the last time, you know, the— most recent cycle of the Orioles trying to win. They were both on that team for for bits and pieces, but I think for me, what I'm going to remember from the season is is kind of a, to build off what you said, but for me, it was that Santander, I think, established himself as just a good everyday big leaguer that people around the league know. Like I think at this point, and it helps that the Orioles won 101 games and made the playoffs and won the division, but the fact that I think Santander is hitting third in this Orioles order, and finally, he had not just one fully healthy season, but back-to-back fully healthy season you know starting from when the Orioles got him from the Cleveland system he had like that shoulder issue and like he couldn't swing the bat for a little bit it was different injuries every year and even in 2020 we thought he's going to break onto the scene he was amazing for four games then he has the oblique injury and he misses the rest of that 2020 season and you know then he gets the ankle injury I believe it was in 2021 and finally to have him back-to-back healthy season 153 games career high 656 plate appearances, career high for him this year, and his home runs were a little down from 33 to 28. But hits 257, that was up. 325, that was up for his on base. 472 slugging, that was up. A 119 WRC plus and a 2.6 FWAR, basically fairly in line with what he did in 2022. That shows a consistency that I think now, when more casual fans around the league and the WBC probably helped this as well. I think people know who Anthony Santander is and know that he is like the force in the middle of a good order. It felt like this season kind of pushed him to that level.
1: Yeah. You know, it, it took a while. It took longer than expected, all the injuries you mentioned there. But yeah, consistency. And yeah, he might be he might have had a slumps in his streaks this year. I mean, all baseball players do. We talked about this recently with you know Adley just winning a silver slugger award. And it felt like at times some of the conversation around Adley was like, big questions about the bat and it's like you take a step back and look at these seasons Santander was nominated for a silver slugger award this year and you know we're going to talk about the future of course but I think he's earned himself a, a pretty big payday when he reaches free agency here at the end of the year Um, two straight years he's still yeah he, he's approaching 30 I think this year which you know can be a concern I'm sure Uh, but at the same time we can also talk about defensively as well like I think the conversation around his defense maybe gets overblown a little bit. I don't think he's as bad as some people make him out to be. He's definitely not, you know, a gold glove winning, although he was, was that 2020 he was nominated or 2020? Yeah, 2020
0: he was a finalist that year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Which is wild. Uh gold glove is another conversation. But you know, he's not a gold glove winning outfielder, but he's gonna hold his own out there, especially in right field over there at Camden Yards. So yeah, just consistency. I think he's earned himself a big payday uh, in the near future, and it's it's really good to see. He seems to be a fantastic clubhouse guy as well, um, and it, it was good. You know, I don't. Another number that I was looking at earlier was you know uh, WPA win probability added. I know it's not like a predictive stat or anything like that, and it's not going to measure future future success or anything. It's kind of reliant on. It's like a counting stat, right? Kind of reliant on getting the opportunity, but. Santander had was like a 2.7 win probability added, which was led the Orioles by a wide margin. It was one of the top marks in baseball. And I think to me, when I look at that stat, you can pull any stat to kind of prove your point in baseball, whatever argument you want to make. But when I look at that, it just kind of backs up the fact that that bat in the middle of this lineup, surrounded by other stars, he did his part uh, to make a pretty positive impact on this team.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, talking about the defense, it's back-to-back years with three defensive runs saved in right field. That's not a gold glover, but that's a better-than-average right fielder, and I think he really worked the last couple off-seasons to change his body a little bit where he can move around a little bit better out there in right field, and he's still playing, at least at Camden Yards. That is the easiest of the three outfield positions because they've now moved the wall back and left, but he looks better out there. The arm is still good, and I trust him. You know, he's still going to be replaced in the ninth inning. I think that's still something that's that's going to happen, but... I trust him if he is out there, and I trust him to at least go get the ball at times. And, and you spoke about the WPA. FanGraphs has a high leverage situation stat where they break into low leverage, middle leverage, and high leverage situations. He was at his best in high leverage this year when the game was on the line. Had a three fifty six average and a one forty eight WRC plus in those high leverage spots. Like he took a lot of big swings for the Orioles this year. And you look at the splits as a switch hitter. I mean. It was a 122 WRC plus as a right-handed hitter, 118 as a left-handed hitter. So, you know, he had a little more power from the left side, but some of that's because of the ballpark he plays in. I mean, he was really even from both sides, which meant there wasn't like this huge discrepancy where you could bring in, you know, a different reliever, a left-handed reliever and and, and know you would get him out. And I think also what's cool about Santander is when he gets hot, he gets hotter for two-week stretches than, than maybe in sometimes one-week stretches than any other Orioles hitter. I think it was John Mioli who wrote about it in the Baltimore banner this season, but there were three of them I I marked down. He started May after that terrible April. He had six straight two-hit games to start May. I mean, it's pretty ridiculous. Not just a six-game hitting streak, six straight two-hit games, finished with a 191 WRC plus in May, which is just an absurd month that he had. Then there was one in mid-June where in six games, he homered five times and had nine RBIs, and there was a big one right at the end of August. Eight games, hit 424, had five homers and 14 RBIs in that stretch. That was the big one that I think caused Mioli to write that article. And when you got a guy who gets hot, but I think the best thing about him, because you talked about the, the peaks and valleys, even when he's not hot, he he only is at worst like a league average hitter when he's not hitting well. And then when he gets hot like this, he's one of the most dangerous hitters in baseball. And And that's where he's going to make maybe his money is like, if he can get hot for two weeks, three weeks at some point. Like, he sh- has shown that he can carry an offense for a little bit,
1: yeah. And you know, the one of the bigger things too that stuck out to me with Santander is we talk about player development all the time over on our show, obviously focusing on the minor leagues. But player development doesn't stop when she gets to the major leagues. And I think the Orioles have done a fantastic job. You know, mm-hmm. credit to you know Ryan Fuller and Matt Borg Schulte and and analysts and everyone involved in this I think santander is a pretty prime example of what this team is able to do with guys at the big league level like you're not a finished product once you get up there and santander has proven that you know he's 28 29 years old and continuously getting better under this regime uh, so that's been a lot of fun to see as well it kind of emerge as, as yeah there are stars there' are superstars in gunner henderson and adley Rutschman. but santander may not be a superstar but He's a guy that you don't pay attention. He's he's gonna change the game on you. He's a guy that I think now, like if you're an opposing team and you're putting together a game plan, you've got to factor Anthony Santander like just as much attention, I think, if not more, sometimes than Adley and Gunner in certain scenarios. So it's it's just been awesome to watch uh, his development over the last couple of years.
0: Yeah, it's been huge for the lineup. So so let's get to the question that I think the people are here for now. <laughs> he's a free agent after 2024. He is kind of like the impending free agent for the Orioles going into next year. He is due to make somewhere between 12 and $13 million in arbitration for the 2024 season. The Orioles, since they started the rebuild, have not paid anyone not named Chris Davis that amount of money in one season. They paid $10 million to Kyle Gibson last year. That was kind of the top of the line. So there are the trade and they've been swirling around Santander for three years now. So it's not like this is anything new. The talks of potentially dealing him away. I think they're more serious this offseason than they've ever been because it now also fits into a Guardians Brewers Rays style plan. Those teams, knowing that that at this point they hadn't extended a guy like Santander, would be looking to deal him this offseason. Where do you stand assuming the Orioles can get fair value that would help them for more years in a deal? Where would you stand right now on whether or not to trade Anthony Santander?
1: It's, it's tough because I I mentioned this last week or recently on, on our show. Like the goal is now, I feel like for the Baltimore Orioles, the goal has to be world series or bust. You won the AL East, you won 101 games. You went to the playoffs last year You've got some of the top prospects in the game emerging. Grayson, Braddish emerging in this rotation. Mm -hmm. You've got to take this rebuild. The rebuild's done. You're you're going to an entirely new level here. And I've been in lockstep with this front office on on many decisions that they've made over the last couple of years. I think this organization is in great health from the top down. Mm -hmm. But I'm hoping that we don't see the scenario where you're trading Santander, because he's reached that point of he's getting too expensive and we move him for prospects. Uh, I hope we're beyond that point now because, and ideally you've set a pretty high price tag on dare not astronomically high, but you have a hefty price tag on Santander when you're in trade talks with other teams. And you're at a point now where you don't need to budge from that asking price with Santander. If someone wants to pay up for him and, you know, he, he's a corner outfielder, one year rental. So his value, I'm sure, isn't as high as it could be. But at the same time, if a team's not going to pay up, then don't trade him. Keep him this year. Um, if you want to package him with some top prospects and you get a frontline ace, I'm okay with that. I I I can be okay with that. Um as long as it's the right ace. I think there are a couple of guys, I know it's like some Orioles fans are, are eager to acquire that. I'd be a little bit skeptical, but if you can land a true number one ace. Move signs that there were some top, some top prospects. I'm fine with that, but at the same time, I think it makes a lot more sense to let him ride out this year, get that one more year out of him, and if he's producing anywhere close to what he has the last two years, he's going to be a, a again an instrumental piece in this lineup in what's hopefully a World Series run in 2024. You allow guys like Colton Cowser and Heston that they're great prospects. I love both of them. Um, I can sit here and talk for two hours about each of these guys, but. They're not, I don't think they're ready to step in opening day and give you the production that Santander is going to give you. So, if you have seen, if seeing as Cowser and Kershaw are both on the roster come opening day, you have a whole nother year where these guys can continue to kind of methodically be worked into the lineup, right? Get more comfortable defensively. We know that's been a big issue with both these guys at the major league level, at least trusting them defensively right now. Let them continue to get their feet wet and settle in. Use another year, a tremendous year out of Anthony Santander. Maybe you extend the qualifying offer. He rejects. You get the draft pick. He gets his big payday. It can be a win-win situation, right? But, yeah, as far as the trade goes, that's a whole other subject in itself, the qualifying offer and what you do with the extension or not. But as far as the trade goes, unless it's for that ace, I hope he's in an Orioles uniform all year long.
0: Yeah, I mean... I would love for them to put together some sort of extension that signed him through 2026, like just got him, inked him to a three-year extension right now that bought out that final year of arbitration and got him for two more years. I'm not sure if that would happen. I've made it clear I'm vehemently against the Orioles dealing him away. And and I think in theory, if he were a piece in a trade for an ace-type pitcher, that could make sense in theory. But my issue is, for the teams that you're taking an ace-style pitcher away from— They don't want expiring contracts coming back in that deal. You know, like I don't think the White Sox want Anthony Santander at all because they're not going to compete in 2024 and they're not going to pay Santander 2025 and beyond. I don't think the Brewers really want an expiring hitter. I think they're going to compete more than the White Sox would in a potential Corbin Burns deal potentially, but the Brewers aren't going to spend a lot of money in free agency. So they want more, even though they want hitters, they want probably more controllable hitters than an impending free agent that you're just getting for one year. So I think a lot of the guys out there, they're, the teams aren't really going to want a guy on a one-year contract unless they are really just love Santander, want to say, hey, let's get him in here for a year and we want to re-sign him and we know we'll get a better chance. I feel like that scenario is not really out there. So at this point, it does suck that it feels like we don't think that the Orioles are going to give him an extension. But the very least you can do is just hand him his $12 million, let him play out this season. As you said, I think the qualifying offer could come into effect and get a draft picked at the end of the year, and just let him sit in the middle of this order. And you said it best. Yeah, Kauser and Kerstad could be good, but you give them some more time to get some seasoning and develop, even if it comes at the major league level. And you know, at this point, back-to-back, healthy, consistent, productive seasons for Santander, you know what you are getting out of him, but the guy we're going to talk about next, we're excited about, but not quite sure yet what they're going to get at him. That is Heston Kerstad. We'll review his first cup of coffee at the big leagues coming up next. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by FanDuel. Now, the NFL season is here, we are almost coming down the home stretch, and the Ravens. Currently, we're going to get the buy in the AFC. But you can score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150 just if your team wins. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there is no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and kick off the NFL season with FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. So we're here with Nick Stevens of the On The Verge podcast, one of the co-hosts over there, along with Zach Spedden and Bob Phelan. We are talking about Anthony Santander's 2023 season, and now we get into Heston Kerstad's 2023 season, who started the year at AA, was finally healthy for the first time. Started the year at AA, played a while at AAA, and then got his cup of coffee in the big leagues in September, which included, despite not appearing in a game, being put on the ALDS postseason roster. So Nick, when you think back to the entire capsulation of it all, A, AA, AAA, the majors, and the postseason, what do you think you'll remember from the Heston-Kerstad 2023 season?
1: Just the fact that he's in the major leagues already. Uh, You you go back to 2020. Obviously, everybody's well aware of the the Heston Kerstad timeline, but that was over two calendar years, I think, between his last game at Arkansas. Pandemic ends that season pretty prematurely. And then 2021, obviously, 2020 doesn't get to play in pro ball because of the pandemic. 2021, he's got the myocarditis issue. At that point, you're just hoping, like, as a human being, is he going to be okay? Forget about baseball. Uh, He comes through 2022. We're like, we're going to get Kerstad on opening day in the minor leagues. Uh, He Gets the hamstring issue uh, in spring training. So that delays his season. 65 games last year between Delmarva and Aberdeen. And this year, 122 games with Bowie and Norfolk. He's in the major leagues already. So he made up for that lost time. Uh, He hit the ball extremely well when he was in the minor leagues. And he not only gets the call up, but like you said, he was on the playoff roster. And that was you know, you were at, you came to our live show with Daniel Allen Tucket and Andy Koska from the Baltimore Banner, and you know we had a discussion about is Kershaw even going to be on that uh, playoff roster? And I kind of assumed, and I think it was kind of consensus opinion, he wasn't going to be on the playoff roster. Think about defensively. You know, I think it was Danielle who mentioned she doesn't think that the Orioles specifically had maybe trust Kershaw defensively. And when you're talking about a playoff scenario. You want somebody out there you can trust, obviously. But the Orioles put him on there, and yeah, he didn't see any action. But I think that speaks volumes about how this organization views Kershaw, and I think it's still a tremendous experience for him and a learning experience for him going into the next year. Where it'll be interesting to see how he fits in. But like, despite all of it, like Kerstad's here in the in the major leagues, and uh, I think he's going to be a a pretty hopefully a big focal point of this roster uh, over the next couple of years.
0: Yeah, I think for me, the memory will be like how good the start was to his big league career. And even the stats don't do it justice because you got to look deeper into the numbers and how hard he was hitting the ball and his quality of contact. Because, like, listen, he was, you know, he killed it in double A, got the promotion to triple A Norfolk. He was great, you know, uh, just under 350 plate appearances there, had a 116 WRC plus, had 10 homers, hit almost 300 in Norfolk. Like he deserved and earned that call up in September when the Orioles were looking for like just a little further spark, you know, the offense was fizzling a little bit in September and he provided that spark. You know, he only played in 13 games. He only got 33 plate appearances down the stretch and he only had seven hits, but it felt like all seven of those hits were huge for the Orioles. He was seven for 30, had a double at two homers, three RBIs, 10 strikeouts and and two walks. But if you look deeper into the numbers, Nick, I mean, it was ridiculous what he did. I mean, 55% hard hit rate. If you extrapolate that out to a full season, he would finish eighth in Major League Baseball this year. 45% sweet spot rate, extrapolated out. That's second best in all of Major League Baseball. 20% barrel rate, extrapolated out. Second best in baseball, only behind Aaron Judge. Like All these numbers are right around Judge and Otani on these leaderboards. 92.3 mile per hour average exit velocity would be 17th in Major League Baseball. The numbers he put up, and again, it's 33 plate appearances at the end of the year. I get it. But... The numbers that he put up and to homer for his first hit in that big series against the Rays mm-hmm. and to get the big hit to kind of give him the cushion in the clinching game of the division against the Red Sox and the the opposite field power he showed in that series in Houston. We've had some Orioles prospects, Kowser and Rutschman, you know, struggle when they first come up. He just hit the ground running in the middle of a pennant race. And that really, for me, like impressed me the most how ready he looked when he got here.
1: Yeah and uh, those major league numbers they match kind of what he did down in the minor leagues you know behind the scenes numbers I mean yeah the, maybe the the max exit velo is pretty impressive i think honestly like guys like Kobe Mayo and like Joey Ortiz even Joey Ortiz is, hits the ball shockingly hard uh but other than that i mean Kershaw was up there but you look at like 90th percentile exit velo Kershaw was one of the tops in this farm system i think only like Kyle Stowers and Kobe Mayo were higher Jordan Westberg is around that range as well. But you talk you mentioned the barrel percentage. He blows some of these other prospects out of the water. I mean, his barrel percentage down in AAA this year was around like 25%. That's way higher than Kobe Mayo, Jordan Westberg. I think Kyle Stowers is a little bit higher. But to me, that just says he was the most consistent. He he may not have those big spikes, but he is consistently hitting the ball incredibly hard. Uh high launch angles. That's gonna lead to base hits, it's gonna lead to doubles, it's gonna lead to home runs. And for him to just, like you mentioned, take off and hit the ground running the big league level, this guy was when he was drafted. I think that was one thing that this organization loved about him was he was someone who could move pretty quickly through this organization because he was a baller. Like He's a hitter. That's just what he does. Uh, and he's proven that every step of the way. So, yeah, the, that was a, another thing, too. I know I remember seeing all the beat reporters watching him take BP. A lot of people, I'm sure, haven't seen him play. Up close and personal and that was the one thing that i remember they highlighted it's like he's hitting the ball in places that not many major leaguers are hitting the ball even in bp and this kid's been in the big leagues for a week um I, i'm i'm cowser is great i love cowser i still think he has a bright future in baseball i'm excited for the kobe mayos i'm excited for you know the samuel Basayos and of course jackson holidays of the world but heston kerstad i think goes kind of under the radar just a little bit with some of these bigger names Um, in terms of this guy's defensively might be some limitations but i think this guy is going to be a someone you can rely on for 30 plus home runs every single year and even the speed the guy had a couple inside the parkers this year like four or five triples down in AAA. I mean he's kind of the complete package down there offensively
0: yeah. I mean, we can talk about, you know, prospect lists all we want, where we rank them. If you're putting the list of the, you know, please don't trade this guy power rankings, I think we'd all probably put Jackson holiday number one. And and I said on my, on my show earlier this week, I said, Jackson holiday is my only truly untouchable prospect in the system right now. But it feels like the way you're talking would kind of agree with me. Like if you made me rank guys below holiday, I think Kirsten would be number two right now in the system. And there's a lot of good guys there of like, don't trade this guy again. I didn't say he was completely untouchable, but behind holiday, I might put him number two. Like, are we getting fooled by 33 plate appearances? Maybe, but the bad ball data is all there. And it's been there when he's been healthy. I, I, I think he's kind of, proven it here but you know you you did say something uh, about the the defense a little bit and there's questions there right the Orioles put him out there for 21 and basically 22 innings in the outfield and and a lot of that was when it really didn't matter you know those last couple of games against the Red Sox he was out there or in weird spots they had that really weird lineup switch that Brandon Hyde made at the end of that game in Houston at one point where I don't know if it was Kirstad or someone else played like one out in right field and then came out of the game or he might have come into the game there was some weird stuff going on there but anyway you know that does leave the questions of what can he do defensively. We know he played a, a good amount of first base in the minors this year. O's didn't put him there in the big leagues, but he was playing there in the minor leagues. So this gets to the final question I wanted to try to unpack before we we wrap up here on this episode is that, you know, do the Orioles have a way to not just have Santander and Kerstad both on the roster in 2024, but to kind of get them both into the lineup regularly. And maybe this isn't from opening day, but say we get to the all-star break and Heston Kerstad's like, listen, I am a legitimate middle of the order, big league bat. And Santander looks exactly like he has the last two years. Like, what do you think what the plan would be? Whether it's positionally, lineup wise, movement of other players to get both of those guys, or maybe it's like, you know, the th- this guy performs poorly, somebody gets injured, this is what has to happen. But what do you think has to happen for, you know, the O's come back from the all-star break And we know that Dad and Santander are in there pretty much every day together.
1: Yeah, uh, man, trying to look ahead and put this puzzle together is always so frustrating (laughs) because
0: there are a thousand
1: different ways and you could throw out 10 different scenarios and be like, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, Obviously injuries, you know, underperformances from guys are all going to settle things out, but all things considered everybody's healthy and everything, you know, I'd say you you keep rolling Santander out there in right field. And maybe you have Kerstad more first base DH, mixing him in in right field some a little bit. He, he's not going to play left field for you. He's not going to play center field, obviously. Um, I probably prefer to have Santander out in right field over Kirschstad. So that obviously leaves kind of more first base DH, where honestly, I think long term, that's probably where he ends up. That's going to lead into like a Ryan Mountcastle situation. What happens with him? But I think long term, Kersh adds more first base th type anyway. Um, you know, maybe Adley gets some more time off next year. I, I don't know if he was you know, you know, running out of gas there at the end of the year. I have no idea. But if so, the Orioles may try to tinker his play back just a little bit. And you know, if you can replace, if Adley has a day off, and you know all right, you got James McCann in that catcher, and you can still keep Adley on the bench for a night and have Kerstad in the lineup instead of DH. It's a pretty nice uh, other option there to have. But, yeah, I think you're just going to see a lot of DH and right field with him and Santander, honestly. It's, it's going to be tough, but I know, like, Brandon Hyde in this organization, like, they are not afraid to roll out a different lineup every night and mix and match this puzzle in a way that guys are going to get their playing time. So I'm interested to see, like, how it all shakes out.
0: Yeah, I think the first thing that would need to happen is like clear out performance of Ryan O'Hearn. I think that would be like the first marker for Kerstad because I think the Orioles are going to go into next year unless something happens in spring training like O'Hearn has done everything to win against righties an everyday job for the Orioles next year. Like he was that good and also the batted ball data backs it up that like this was some of it was kind of a fluke only because he had been so bad beforehand, but also the data backs up what he did in the stat line, which makes you think this could be sustainable for O'Hearn. It wasn't cursed at batted ball data, but it was pretty good for Ryan O'Hearn, especially the hard hit numbers. Mountcastle, he could play into this equation, right? What Ryan Mountcastle do we get next year if there's some struggles? You know, God forbid if there's another issue with the vertigo, something like that, that certainly plays in here. I think Santander, there's not much that would get him out of the lineup if he's still on this roster, besides an injury, and then he's been healthy as well. I also think some sort of Cowser not taking the next step would definitely help this puzzle. And I think the other thing that maybe is not being thought of as much because Kirstad is not going to play left field at Camden Yards, but Kirstad can play left field at other ballparks. And I think an Austin Hayes kind of downslide could really, really help at least get Heston in in left field at other ballparks. Now, do you love a Kerstad in left, Santander in right defensive alignment? You don't, but they probably make up for it with their bats if Kerstad has earned his way into the lineup every day. And then you have a Ryan McKenna, a Sam Hilliard, an Aaron Hicks, whoever it is, to get into the game late and you pull one of them defensively and you at least make your outfield defense better in the eighth and ninth innings. But as you said, it's really hard to put that puzzle together. I just think those are some of the things that would have to happen here. I, I wish one of these guys was a little more versatile offensively. And I think they're both could play some some first base. I mean, Santander played 12 games at first base too. So, you know, he's he's in that mix as well. The Orioles put him there this year. But it's you know, the other thing, we can say all these things about other guys really not performing, but you kind of got to the point, which is. If Kerstad's hitting like this over a larger sample size, they're just going to put him in the lineup. Like, they'll find the other moves to make. I think that's kind of where we end here, Nick, is like, he's going to be out there if he produces. If he outproduces O'Hearn, if he outproduces Hayes, if he outproduces Mountcastle, they believe in this guy. They took him second overall, and no one else thought he was going to be the pick there. He's going to be out there if he produces.
1: Yeah, and to me, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know, but I think putting him on that playoff roster, and again, even though he didn't play, I think just the fact that they put him on that playoff roster and trusted him and said, hey, if we need you, we are happy with having your bat when the season matters most uh, in this lineup. And so I think that tells me that, yeah, regardless, as long as he's hitting, he's going to be in the lineup. and He's going to be a major piece uh, of this franchise, at least for the next couple of years. And yeah, Austin Hayes, Ryan Mountcastle, I, I like that, especially the Austin Hayes. I never even didn't even consider, you know, the Orioles also play on the road. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, you can get him out there a little bit more. And, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens with Mountcastle. Maybe he's going to need some more time off as well. I don't know. I'm glad I don't have to make the decisions, but I do agree that, yeah, Kerstad's going to be a big force. And here's to a, a 30-plus home run season from him this year.
0: Yeah, Orioles fans that are worried, listen, if Hayes is performing, is performing, O'Hearn's performing, Kerstad's performing, Santander's performing, Kowser's performing, that sounds like a pretty good problem to have. So let's just wish everybody to play well. And I think Mike Elias, Brandon Hyde, Sigma Adele, Eve Rosenbaum, like Freddie Gonzalez, they've showed us, they will figure it out. They will figure out a way to get these guys into the order. But Nick, thank you so much for joining us here to talk about two of the, the more exciting Orioles and, and guys that, you know, I, I think, I mean, I don't want to say this crazy, like, but there's, there's a tiny minuscule chance that I don't know, neither of them would be on the Orioles next year. If the O's are really wheeling and dealing this offseason, I think it's a better chance that both of them are here, hopefully. And, uh, you know, maybe Brandon Hyde listened and and started to think about how to piece them both into the same lineup. But Nick, thank you so much for joining us. Let everybody know uh, where they can find your work, your podcast before we get going here.
1: Yeah, we are everywhere. You listen to podcasts, find us on Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram, all that at The Verge Pod. Give us a follow and uh, we'll just pump out minor league content uh,
0: every day, all year round. Great pod over there on The Verge. Make sure to check it out. That'll do it for today's episode. We are back tomorrow. Unless any news breaks, unless the Orioles get a little early jump on the winter meetings and and make a move here, we'll be back tomorrow continuing our 2023 Orioles season player review series. Daniel Allen Tuck of the Baltimore Banner who was mentioned in this episode. She'll be on the show tomorrow. We're talking about a couple of left-handed pitchers who have some questions going into next year. Are they in the rotation? John Means, Cole Irvin. How do they fit in in 2024? We'll talk about that on tomorrow's episode. But until then... I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.